This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Irish folklore is a rich tapestry of terrifying and mysterious creatures, specters, and more. Sometimes, however, lore doesn't remain lore, because folklore often comes to life. Welcome to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails, here to share with you eyewitness testimony of the supernatural and unexplained. Today's episode was going to be all about mysterious creatures seen in Ireland, but to be honest, I was a few stories short. So the first few stories tonight feature encounters with strange Irish creatures, and the rest are an assortment of supernatural terrors. Enjoy. If you have a scary story of the unexplained, send it to me at darkstories.org so I can feature it on the show. And if you're listening on YouTube, remember, you can enjoy this show as a podcast. Just look for Unexplained Encounters on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Now, let's begin. Ghost or Monster on the Road From Express Exam 2896 I'm a 38-year-old guy from Ireland. I have lived with my dad in Dublin most of my life, but my grandma still lived in Kilkenny. She always said the only way she'd move house was in a coffin, and ended up being right about that, bless her. I visited her often when I got my license. We were really close, from pretty much the second I popped out of my mom. She always gave me loads of food and treats, like grannies do, and allowed me to watch the telly and stay up longer. Dad was always a bit strict, so visiting her was basically like a mini-vacation. This happened ages ago, maybe 2010. It wasn't long after I got my license. I think it was a Saturday as I had the day off work. A warm summer evening was a welcome break from all the rain the previous week. It wasn't really dark at the time, just this dusky blue twilight. And even just driving on the back then pretty new motorway felt magical. And I guess no small part of it was that driving was still this new and shiny thing to me. It felt like pure freedom. Overall, in the moment, I was feeling good about life. I had the radio on low volume. It happened a bit before the turn to intend to kill Kenny. The radio went to loud static. My car was an absolute pile of junk, but so far the radio had been the only part of it that hadn't broken once. I cussed like a sailor and took my eyes off the road for but a second, while fiddling with it. I even gave it a slap for good measure, but when I looked back, 
I had to smash the brakes so hard, I'm pretty sure I gave myself whiplash. There was someone standing in the road. In front of me, walking slowly towards me in the middle of my side of the road, was a tall and lean but muscular woman. She was stark naked. She stopped as I did and stood there, all tense, like she was about to bull rush my car and smash into it. Her chest heaved with every breath, so deeply it seemed to shake her entire body. It took way too long before I noticed what was wrong with her. But just when I was about to honk at her, it hit me, and I nearly shot seven shades of crap onto the ripped-up car seat. She had no head. I remember how every single hair on my head, neck, and arms stood up, and I let out this ugly yelp and couldn't breathe, like someone had just kicked me in my chest. One of her hands was holding what I first thought were her bloody clothes, which she clearly wasn't wearing. But when my brain finally freaking rebooted, I saw they were too shiny. She wasn't holding clothes. No, her insides were hanging out from this massive slit in her stomach. You'd think you'd notice those things first. And it's weird how you don't in these situations. It just didn't compute. She was all black and blue, too. Some of it looked like badly done tattoos and other bits just dirt or bruises or weird shadows, like she had tumbled down an entire mountain. And how in the world does she still look tall without her head? Sure, I'm a bit of a teapot, but she was huge. I'm glad there weren't any other idiot drivers on the road, because I must have been staring at this lady for minutes and minutes, before something even more messed up happened. She ran right towards me, and I screamed like a baby. She leapt up onto the nose and ran up the windshield onto the roof, all while holding her freaking guts in the crook of her arm like a soggy grocery bag. There was an odd, faint orange glow, like she was backlit by something. Otherwise, there was nothing see-through or ethereal about her. Her steps made heavy thump-thump-thumps as she ran over the metal. I don't remember driving after that, but I must have, since I got to my grandma's and finally snapped out of it. There, I began to hyperventilate. I mean, that was probably the scariest thing I'd ever experienced. I wasn't sure if I fell asleep while driving and had a nightmare, or if I was dreaming with my eyes open. I cried in the car for a bit, I think from the pure shock, and when it wore off, at least somewhat, I went inside. I don't know if it was a ghost from a traffic accident who wanted a ride home or something else. When I half-jokingly told my granny that I might have fallen asleep and saw a headless woman, she basically told me to not be a daft little turd and shoved a ham sandwich in my mouth. Then we sat down watching the telly like always. When I went out for a smoke at 11pm, I took a look at the car. It was pretty dark by then, but from what I could see, there were no footprints or handprints or anything like that on the car. Surely the woman in such a miserable condition would have left something like smudges of blood, or mud at least, right? But 
maybe she wasn't real. People aren't usually in the habit of running around headless, like. I kept telling this story to my friends and workmates, asking people about ghost sightings and everything, until they told me I was going a bit too far and mad with it. I'm sorry there's no good or dramatic ending. All I know for sure is that I saw a big headless woman with her guts out, hopping onto my car like some sort of cat. My gut tells me it's no dream. And if it was, it sure blended in seamlessly with my reality. I still kind of hope someone has seen something similar. If you're hearing this, just know, if you saw what I saw, you'd be a bit obsessed about it too, even after a decade. Nothing weird like that has happened to me before or since. My noggin is just fine. No family history of psychosis, as far as I'm aware. So, what the heck happened? Banshee in the Fog From Celtic Kin Irish folklore is littered with mysterious and terrifying creatures. The kind that sound so unbelievable, which people speak of with such conviction that you can't help but wonder if there must be a layer of truth buried in there. Older folks in particular still hold a belief of the fairy folk and lore of ancient Ireland. Before she passed away, my grandmother would have sat us down in her cottage and filled its walls with the tales of all kinds of spirits, from silently watchful black hounds to the Kelpie, a water horse that would seduce you into riding it, then dart into the depths of a lake or lock and drag you down into the murky abyss. When my parents would collect us, mom would scowl when she found out about the ghost story session, knowing that neither my brother nor I would be getting much sleep that night. Nevertheless, I cherish these fireplace memories as they take me back to a simpler time when the dark winter evenings would be filled with life in the form of Granny's lilting aged voice. My favorite of these creatures, or perhaps least favorite, I suppose, given the endless amount of nightmares it implanted into my mind as a child, was the Banshee, a spirit tied to particular families. Legend has it, that she appears in different forms, but tends to favor that of either a beautiful but distraught woman or a hunched, ailing older washerwoman, if it appeared by sight at all. It's even more distinct, you see, by its unearthly cry. Its wails and weeps would fill a room or would be audible for miles away across countrysides. The person who crosses paths with the banshee or its cry, should quickly alert the family, as this is a signal that someone from the family has died or is set to die. Yes, the Banshee is an omen of death. As I grew older, I became cynical to the tales my grandmother had spouted, including that of the Banshee. I moved into the city for university at 18, and immersing myself with life in the modern world, the ways of country life seemed to evaporate. A small-scale reflection of the increasingly modernizing world, I guess. Sad when you think about it, isn't it? 
that brings me to the one particular summer. My parents had recently downsized to a small cottage deep in the barren Irish West, where the roar of city life was inaudible. I stayed with my parents for the month of July, spending long, languid days roaming the nearby fields, looking out for signs of wildlife, such as the foxes that roamed late at dusk, or the bats that flew low along the lanes, which were laden with sprawling plant life. My story begins in the second week of my stay. I had taken to going for twilight walks, making the most of our northern sun, which can see daylight, lasting until close to 11 p.m. I was some miles away from the house, but could sense darkness approaching, and decided to make my way back home. Nighttime in that part of the country is utterly dark, not something you want to find yourself swallowed by. It was as I was walking back that I heard it, the most startling, biting cry. It seemed to fill the world around me, as though echoing against stone walls, even though I was surrounded by open nature. I can try to describe it by saying that it was on one hand the sound of a woman in sharp pain, but equally that of a grieving mother, sobbing at the loss of her child. I was momentarily horrified. In one moment it seemed that all my cynicism was laid to rest and that I should run home without question. What sort of horrific creature was capable of producing a sound like this? However, I then tried to apply some logic. Can't foxes make the most spine-tingling noises when they're distressed, or even in heat? There had to be a purely natural explanation to this, despite how undisputedly unnatural it sounded. Whatever it was, I didn't want to stick around to find out. I'll run back home, I decided, and I would tell my parents, just in case someone was genuinely in distress or harm. I began to pick up my pace, breaking into a jog, but something in my peripheries of my vision brought me to a sharp and sudden stop. To my left was Bogland, an area that I'd been warned never to walk in as it would be all too easy to sink into the wet ground and become stuck, or even suffocate. It was shocking to me then that in the midst of this Bogland stood a woman, a woman with long silvery blonde hair twisting in the evening breeze. The relative distance and encroaching darkness made it hard to make her out entirely, but she looked to be in her early to mid-twenties, my age, and her face was contorted in what looked like either pain or horror. It was from her mouth I realized that that bone-chilling scream had emerged. Initially, I was stunned. This was so unlike anything I'd experienced in this part of the world so far, which seemed so devoid of alarm or drama or consequence before. But I shook myself then and called out to the woman as loudly as I could. Hello! What's wrong? Are you stuck? She seemed to register me then, small eyes turning in my direction but there was no response. 
aside from the continuous screech which now pounded in my head. Hello? Hello? I'm gonna try to get you some help. I'll be back as soon as I can. With that, I ripped my eyes from the woman, darting back to the house as fast as I could. I was around a mile away, but phone signal was limited in that part of the country, and I knew I would need to get home in order to do anything to assist the woman. It would have been a risk to my own life to have walked across the bogland towards her. When I made it back home, my parents' warm faces quickly dropped to looks of alarm upon registering me. What is it? You look like you've seen a ghost. I quickly filled them in on what I'd seen, and they sprung into action, grabbing the phone and alerting the local Garda, our police force. In the meantime, my father and I leapt into the car to make our way back to the spot, while my mother waited for the Garda to arrive. By car, we were there within minutes. I quickly directed my father to where I'd seen the woman. I pride myself on my sense of direction, and the lane is fairly straightforward, so I was utterly bemused when I realized there was no woman in sight, nor sound within earshot, save for the standard noises of a country evening. We scanned the area, but still nothing. When my mother arrived with the constable, he questioned me about where I'd seen the woman and raised his eyebrow when I said that she was no longer there. There's no way she would have been submerged in that space of time. You said she was standing fully upright when you saw her, correct? That's right. She was a bit of a distance away, but it didn't look like her legs were submerged yet. It was the screaming that made me run for help. He nodded. Okay, son. Thank you. Could you, very clearly, tell me once again exactly what you saw? Try not to leave anything out. I did so, relaying the story to him again and trying to interpret his facial reactions as I did so. He remained quite neutral, writing my account onto his notepad. When I finished, he paused, then spoke slowly. Right. I'm going to say first off that given how few people live around here, I myself can't say that I know anyone fitting that description. I like to think I know each and every one around these parts. However, I'm going to file a report and investigate this further. It might be that she got herself free and just walked off again. Here he stopped and bit the end of his pen, looking thoughtful before continuing with some visible discomfort. I want to thank you for alerting me about this. I want to say, though, before I set off, I have heard cases like this in the past. Figures. Figures of women appearing around the countryside, alarming passers-by with their cries. I, well, again, officially I'm going to handle this as I'd handle any other case but I want you to do me a favor. Check in with your family tonight. See how everyone's doing. This might sound odd, but can you do that for me? 
Dad looked perplexed at this. Dad seemed like he wanted to ask some more questions. But Mom interjected, nodding. Yes, officer. I think I understand you. We'll do that. With that, we drove home. The darkness of the land around us was impenetrable, aside from the light of the car's full beam. It was a moonless night. We didn't need to contact our family members that evening, because they reached out to us first. My mother's brother-in-law had sent her a message while we'd been out. The message wasn't long. It simply read, Hi, Bridget. Tried to contact you, but no reply. Please call. When Mom got through, she was distraught to find that her sister had passed away that evening. It had been a sudden medical event that nobody could have predicted. Aunt Sarah had been living with her husband and family in the USA for years. Most years we saw her biannually, but her death shook us nonetheless. In the days that followed, we sprung into action, assisting with funeral arrangements in whatever way we could, booking flights to Boston. I didn't voice it to my parents, not wanting to upset them further, but I couldn't help but consider the incident with the woman in the bog and what the officer had said to us. My logical mind tried its best to protest, but my memory kept tiptoeing back to those stories my grandmother had told me years ago, particularly those of the Banshee. Was it possible this could have been the explanation? Was the woman in that field trying to alert me, trying to warn me about the impending death of my aunt? It took two years for me to bring this up to my mother. I was once again visiting home. We were drinking tea in the garden. It was yet another summer evening at twilight, and I was taken back to that night by the bog. I voiced my memories to Mom, asking her if she remembered what the constable had said. She gazed into her teacup, sighed, and looked at me slowly. Yes, son, I remember. Do you recall me telling him that I thought I might understand? Yes, Mom, I do. Your dad was ready to question him more. Well, this might sound crazy to you, but I did understand. You see, about three years before that, something similar had happened. I breathed in, and she must have seen my eyes go wide. Oh no, I didn't see a woman like you did, if that's what you're thinking. But I did hear a cry from within the walls of our old home, on the evening your granny passed away, as though someone was screaming deep inside our house. Of course, the difference was, we were prepared that time. We knew it was only a matter of days or even hours. But I did hear the cry. It terrified me at the time. It's part of the reason we sold up and moved to this cottage. I was dumbstruck. When I finally found my voice, I told her I hoped that she hadn't come to hate the new house following what I'd seen two years before. Oh no, she responded. No, I actually think it's helped me deal with the first occasion, believe it or not. 
You see, I think maybe it's not a bad thing. She was distressed, you say, when you saw her there. The woman in the bog, I mean. Well, perhaps she was just as sad as we were. Perhaps she's just part of our family. I do wonder if anyone has seen or heard her in the past. Your grandmother? Well, you remember her stories. I used to grimace when I came home to you and your brother shuddering on the sofa. I still stand by that. She smiled wistfully at me as she said this, and I was transported back to the corner of that old sofa. But it could be that she knew there was some truth behind what she was saying. Perhaps your grandmother, my mother, had at some point seen our sad friend too. With that, she finished her tea, lifting both cups from the table and walking to the sink. I was left there filled with thoughts, nostalgia, and an overwhelming sense of closeness to my own family, culture, and land that I hadn't felt before. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My Family Shadow from L. My family has seemingly been haunted by a shadow being for years, and I hope to get my family's stories out there. I live in Ireland, Northern Ireland to be specific, and I lived out in the country, in the fields where it's very remote, until I was two, after which I moved to the town when my parents split. My great-grandmother, who also lives out in the country, told me from time to time about these strange beings she sees shadow-looking people standing in random places around the old and abandoned farm and fields. We lived not too far up from her old house on a slightly raised hill. 
My mom had been given the land from my late great-grandfather, and she built a house for my family on it. One day, my father had been sleeping, as he was tired from work, when he heard my mother park the car outside, and me, my brother, and mom got out of the car, walking up to the house. With eyes slightly open, he saw the door to his room open, and my brother looking like what he described as a shadow, walk into the room and lie down next to him. He even spoke, telling my brother, I'll be up in a second. But then he fully opened his eyes. He looked beside him, where he felt the figure lie down, and he saw nothing there. Then he heard my mother's car pull up, again, and my brother and I walking to his bedroom door. Then who had he heard before? In my last house, I lived in front of a chapel. You'd think that was a safe place to live, but to me, it never was. I awoke one night, needing to use the bathroom, so I walked to my door, opened it, and walked into the bathroom. Closing the door, I saw this shadowy head and shoulder of a person, with long, misty fingers wrapping around the bars of the banister, meaning that thing was standing on the stairs looking through. I slammed the door shut, quickly stopping a scream from leaving my mouth by covering it with my hand. Tears welled up in the corners of my eyes as I shouted for my mother to come to the door. When I heard her coming, I wiped away my tears and unlocked the door when I heard her knock. She walked me to my bedroom, obviously confused, but I went in and ran to my bed. I covered my head with blankets and cried, thinking about that thing that could be lurking around my house. I didn't sleep that night, but I know I heard my door opening and it didn't close. This is a family mystery. I've heard stories about such things from family members for years. The only thing I'm scared of now is passing these things on to my future children, or if my nearly three-year-old sister starts to see these shadows too. A Little Nighttime Driving Experience from Red Scarecrow 99. In the early 2000s, I was 17, and I had just gotten my learner's permit. I'd begun working a few months prior at our local grocery store chain in Mount Pocono, Pennsylvania. It seemed like a good job. It had at least 10 of my friends working there, and I figured I'd get paid to hang out, basically. This was usually true, as us younger workers were often the ones running the night shift. My mom was going to pick me up afterwards, and I was to drive home for a little nighttime driving experience. The day itself was so uneventful, I couldn't even begin to elaborate on how bored I was, how excited I was to drive my mom's teal van. We lived about 20 minutes away from the store, and while I was upset at the short drive, I did look forward to it. I was waiting for her outside the store, and she arrived at her usual time. After quickly ushering her into the passenger seat, I charted a course in my head for home and took off. The ride was mostly pleasant, save my mom being like an overly protective hen, with remarks about my speed and line riding. We recounted our days to each other. Before long, we turned down our road in Pocono Lake, which used to be an old farm. 
Our house was of the farm variety, complete with dilapidated chicken coops, a small orchard of scraggly apple trees, and an antique fire engine that my brother loved to play on. It sat next to our neighbor's house, which sat at the cusp of a large field. I was talking to my mom about some girl that caught my eye, when she quickly cut me off. I figured she didn't care for the subject matter when she began to point up through the windshield towards the field. The heck is that? She blurted out. I couldn't see very well, so I pulled over, stopping the car. It looked like a toy top, covered in pulsing rainbow lights. It slowly spun in the air, but made no noise at all. I rolled the window down to try and hear, but nothing. A thought came in my head, and I responded. You darn well know what that is, I said. My heart was racing, and I put the van in drive, starting to peel out. Again, this was about 2003, so no one had camera phones or anything for picture taking. All we had were our little brick-shaped cells. My mother seemed frantic and scolded me for pulling away so harshly. I cut her off, saying, If they're hovering there, they're either dropping off or picking up, and I don't want to see that. I drove the 150 yards to the house, where I went in and dragged my sleeping father from bed. My mom stayed on the porch to watch it. We all went outside, and it was gone by then, leaving no sounds, no rumbles, nothing in its wake. Crickets, katydids, and tree frogs had begun to start back up. My mom said she turned away to tell us to hurry, and it was gone instantly. Of course, my dad was furious for us playing a joke so late, but he didn't press the issue. We never really talked about it since, except when a paranormal subject came up. I don't know what it was, but maybe whoever they were, they took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. The Drive From The Creator's Guardian is time a real tangible thing, or just a measurement? Humans have been trying to answer that question for a long time. Unfortunately, I had an experience with time that changed my perspective on everything. It happened on an afternoon when I was driving home from the local McDonald's, which I used to work at. You've got to start somewhere, right? The drive from my local McDonald's to our family house is roughly 15 minutes, and it's a beautiful, calm drive. However, there is a section of road that I speed through, even to this day. It's an area of road that makes no sense. There are no boundary lines, no signs, nothing. Just road for about a mile or so. As I drove through this section of road that day, it felt different. Something was off about the fog, that suddenly enveloped my car. I was slightly confused at the sight of fog. It wasn't morning. Fog usually appears every day in the mornings, then fades as the day progresses. About a minute through this section of road, I began to notice these figures in the grass. They all looked human. Some were lying down, yet others were standing motionless. Morbid curiosity overtook me. I parked my car and got out to investigate. Was this some sort of elaborate prank? 
My mind was desperately trying to find all possible rational explanations for this unnatural scene before me, but it came up empty. I approached one of the figures, warily. It was a young woman, probably in her twenties. She faced away from me. Hello? I called out. She turned around, as if preparing to respond, and I get a better look at her features. I was horrified. Her skin was rotting. She had no eyes, no teeth. Help me, she whispered. She took a staggering step towards me, and I fell backward in fear. As I scrambled to my feet and ran back to my car, which by the grace of God was still there, the woman pursued me, begging for help. Then all the people turned around. The ones who were lying down rose up, as if from slumber. I got back in my car, slamming the driver's side door, locking it along with the rest. I sped away from that section of road as fast as my car could take me. The nightmare hadn't ended yet, though. The road stretched on and on as more figures appeared in the mist. I swerved around a few of them. After all, they were just people, right? All at once, I noticed two things. One, there were no other cars driving in the opposite direction. Two, the same people appeared in the fog in front of me as they disappeared in the fog behind me, which I observed through my rearview mirror. The same man with the blue suit, that woman I spoke to, a girl in an orange skirt, and many others. Those were some of the ones that continued to appear in the exact same spot in front of me as they disappeared in that place behind me. I also noticed that the buildings would repeat too. A shed, a church, then a market. Over and over again, shed, church, market, shed, church, market. I was in a loop, driving through the same section of road repeatedly. For what felt like ten minutes... I looped through the same area over and over until finally I began to see different buildings and no more rotting people. I was free at last, but it was nighttime. I had only just left McDonald's like 10 minutes ago at 1.30pm when my shift ended. I checked my phone. 9.39pm. I'd been gone for roughly eight hours. I raced home, definitely going way over the speed limit. No police cars were on the road, so I was lucky. I made it home, found my parents with three police officers sitting at our dining room table. Upon seeing me, everyone in the room leapt up and rushed over to me, flooding me with questions. My mom spoke above them, saying, Where in God's name have you been? It's been four days. I was shocked. Not only had I been gone for eight hours, I'd been gone for four days and eight hours. Upon realizing this, I sort of just slumped into the floor, devastated. What had those rotting people done to me? The drive only took 30 minutes max. I ran outside to the garage, checking my car's fuel gauge, which was somehow almost full just as it had been when I first started my trip back home. 
There are so many questions I want answers to. What happened to me during those four days? Who were those people? Why did they look like zombies? The current feeling I have at this moment is a sense that something unfair has happened to me. I want those four days back, that missing portion of my life. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Stalked by something crying in the woods around Mount Hood. From Kim Goblin. For reasons that should be more than apparent to just about everyone, I was starting to get quite a bit stir-crazy around the midpoint of 2021. Cabin fever. An affliction that would take me and my girlfriend a little over an hour away from our home near Portland and out to Mount Hood to do a little early spring hiking. A decision that would unknowingly lead us both into the path of something far beyond explanation. Something unfathomably diabolical. That very nearly made us two more of the countless souls who have gone missing from the world's most untouched regions, disappearing off the face of the earth. It was late April. For the first time that year, the temperature began to warm, and I was wanting to get some nice quiet hiking in as early as possible before the trails got too crowded and dusty in the dry summer heat. We knew there'd be no modest amount of snow still up on the mountain, but I figured the trails would be easy enough to follow regardless, and it's not as if I ever minded getting a little wet at the ankles anyway. As we came up on the base of Mount Hood, we could see the fresh streaks winding through the powder, where skiers were still enjoying the last few weeks of their fun. We drove past the trailhead and went further up the road to government camp to grab a bite to eat and have a beer or two before the hike. Being as it was a weekday, the place was mostly cleared out, aside from the handful of businesses, skeleton crews, and the sparse local or off-duty park ranger. We ate at Charlie's Mountain View, a decent place to eat or drink, by the way, and managed to get just a little buzzed with two or three shots of whiskey. The spirit would keep us warm out in the snow. We paid, then looped on back out of town toward our hiking destination. We were originally planning to see Tamanawas Falls, but at the very end of that trail, before coming up on the falls themselves, is a stretch of just brittle shale that's hard to pass through or around in the snow without crampons. Even the trail we did pick would prove to be somewhat difficult without them. The car veered into a patch of well-tread snow that vaguely resembled a parking lot. There were only two other cars in the space. 
It's a rare treat to have such a beautiful, fine, usually very busy, trail all to yourself. So I was giddy with joy. It didn't take very long at all to realize we may have gotten in over our heads, literally. The way was slippery, the dirt obscured under a sheet of firmly packed trodden ice, too stubborn to have melted yet. Off the trail, the snow was powdery and varied in depths of three to five feet. I was relieved that the trail, despite being under so much packed snow, was still easy enough to discern. I've spent enough time with scary stories to know the possible consequences of wading off trail to bushwhack out into the wilderness, and I'm just not the kind of guy to do that to myself, even for the sake of adventure. The first and certainly not last of our trials appeared early on in the form of a 10-foot-long footbridge. Because ice will remain on bridges longer than on the ground, the four-foot-tall side rails were easily overtaken by treacherously slick ice. I thanked God that I remembered to put on layers, because the only way to cross without running the risk of falling into the undoubtedly freezing cold water of the creek below was to crawl across on all fours, both hands and feet necessary for adequate stability. There were probably a dozen bridges at the start of the trail, so my knees were plenty cold once we hit an upward stride. But I had the wise foresight to carry along a pair of flasks full of fireball, so we couldn't have cared less once enough of that was coursing around in our veins. Once midday hit, it actually started to get a little warm, and I took off my jacket to soak in that snow-kissed breeze that moved in low rushes through the forest. The calm and quiet felt tangible, something so separate from the perpetual traffic hum of civilization. The quiet, as we later discovered, was only a facade to something more sinister. Things started to get interesting as we began to climb our way up to the switchbacks that crisscrossed up the mountain to the lake. We managed to get up easily enough, but the going was slow. I fell down once and slid down a good 20 or 30 feet backwards on the ice. Only a tree was able to stop the momentum. The trail and lake at its end got its name due to the fact that in the summer, Mount Hood will reflect off its waters perfectly. A mirror, as it were. But now the whole lake was just a stark white plain overlooked by the mountain. The trail stopped at the trees, where less courageous hikers decided not to go anywhere near the lake. We were not as wise. We stuck close to the tree line, the only real way to discern the lake from its shore. I stepped into a shallow puddle, but it wasn't a big deal, since my feet were already plenty soaked. After getting a few good photos with the mountain in the background, we found a nice tree to crawl up into and rest our feet and warm up. There was enough daylight to finish off the cinnamon whiskey and read a little before heading back home. We had planned to take an adjacent path to other places worth sightseeing, but the trek had already taken so long that we would have ended up hiking partially through the dark, and the trail was impossible to find for all the snow coverage. I made a comment about how we never saw any other hikers out there, despite the two cars in the parking lot, but shrugged my shoulders about it, carrying on. We traced our footprints back to where we came from, lunging over the puddle that got the better of me earlier. Going down was much faster than going up, 
and we made some good time getting to the base of the camp. I was in a rush to get home, to get warm and take a shower, so I had some fun sliding down the slopes on my butt. After coming down off the steep inclines, the trail led through a much flatter area that took us all the way back to the parking lot. It winds through and around trees and boulders, passing by an occasional meadow. As soon as we got to that flat part of the trail, we started to hear the crying. It was really quiet at first, and I thought it was just some bird, albeit no kind of bird I'd ever heard. Very gradually, it got louder. Discomfort grew between us, until the final piece of the realization puzzle fell into place, and I knew that it must have been a person. A man, just sobbing loudly somewhere far off the trail. I was racking my brain, trying to figure out just how and why the heck anybody in their right mind would go out there in all that snow, when the trail itself was hard enough to find when you were standing right on it. I instinctively knew the answer to that question already. I knew instinctively that something was very far off about the fact that someone was crying out in the woods alone, and there was something even off about the timbre of the voice. In some way, I couldn't quite place it. I couldn't even admit to myself in that moment that something was very, very wrong. I asked my girlfriend to confirm that I was hearing what I thought I was hearing, and she did say that it sounded exactly like an adult man crying out there where we couldn't see. So, I yelled out, Hello? Hello? Do you need help? Do you need help? And it just went dead quiet. The crying stopped. Everything stopped. And I then realized there had been no sound out here for quite a while. Only that man crying somewhere deep in the woods. It wasn't a pure vacuum of sound. More like nature evading us. Making the radius of our existence a void. As if we'd been suddenly placed under unseen eyes that the birds and chipmunks and air itself knew well to avoid. After the skittering footfalls of some squirrels trailing off in a hurry, we were left with only the soft breeze whistling through the trees in the distance as uneasy company. Call out again, my girlfriend said. Disquiet was building, and I knew something was very wrong. I replied, No, let's just go. We'll call the nearest ranger station when we have service. We started to walk again, our attention going unspoken. I was nervous. I knew she was just as nervous, because without having said anything, she was walking much faster than before. Her stride, once cautious because of the ice, had become careless and rushed. We'd made it perhaps another quarter mile when we started to hear the crying again. It was quiet and far behind us. I was already cold as heck, but hearing that voice again made my blood turn to ice in my veins. Muscles twitched in preparation for immediate flight away from any danger. I took glances back every few yards as the whining very gradually began to get louder and closer. I started to hear other things totally out of place. Twigs snapping, snow crunching under light, stilted footsteps. When it sounded like it was maybe just ten yards behind us, 
we both dared to look back. I'll never forget what I saw. It will never not be seared into my mind, the most terrifying thing I've ever witnessed. I couldn't get a full picture of him, of it, because it was hiding behind a tree. It was a man that must have stood eight or nine feet tall, naked and covered in puce bruises and cuts, enveloped in frost. It had long hair and a beard, and a thin layer of wispy fuzz that lay in mangy-looking patches over its gray, pallid flesh. It was staring directly into my eyes, pupils milky with cataracts. It opened its mouth in a childlike, exaggerated yawn to make that crying sound again, only flimmier and more guttural. Its teeth looked like they'd been chewed down to dull yellow nubs. I was caught in an awestruck trance, transfixed just by the impossibility of what I was seeing, until, with an unnaturally long stride, it stepped out from behind the tree towards us, crying eagerly, gnashing its rotten maw with tongue thrashing around in the cavern of its mouth. I didn't get a great look at him in his full glory, because by then I'd grabbed my girlfriend's coat sleeve and practically dragged her down the trail, sprinting like I never had before, all the way back to the car. We cleared those treacherous bridges in single leaps, miraculously not falling in. I could hear that thing only a few yards behind us, its stomps vibrating the earth below. We could have died. We might have suffered some other unimaginably grim fate if that monster hadn't taken a misstep on one of the icy bridges. I heard him slip and fall into the water. It wasn't deep enough to really deter such a huge thing, but it was just enough to give us a good lead. And we made it back to the car, safely. I almost tore off the door handle, trying to open it, before my girlfriend could fish the keys out of our backpack. Tires squealed to find traction against the ice, and we begged and begged until the wheels finally caught and lurched forward out of the lot. Driving was dangerous because of how much I was shaking. The face of that monster inciting panic any time I'd think of those eyes and the face the thing made when it cried at us. Neither of us could talk until after a half a bottle of booze had disappeared between us when we made it back home. The fear receded and gave way to some cautious curiosity. Theories as to just what the heck we encountered... We both agreed that the crying must have been some lure, a way to get more kind-hearted hikers to either follow the sounds of the cries or to reveal their position by calling out, like we did. Then we remembered the other two cars that were still there when we left. I called the ranger station the next day after concocting a story that wouldn't seem too out there. I simply told the ranger that we'd heard some crying out in the woods, that we couldn't help because of the snow. Of course, he chewed me out about not calling sooner. I made some BS up about it being after nightfall when we got off the trail, and how we thought it had maybe been a bird. But that didn't spare us his wrath. The guy was teed off. But I can understand that. In the year and a half since the event, we've never heard a thing about it. Not in the news. Nothing. 
I don't really hike anymore, not even walks at the park. I stand at the door of my apartment for entire minutes any time I have to walk to my car in the dark, because I imagine seeing that face again, knowing I won't be able to make such a lucky escape a second time if I did. My girlfriend's a lot more open than I am, the kind of person to tell you everything about herself, because she'll trust just about anyone with anything if they seem nice enough. I love that about her, but I made her swear to me that she would never tell anyone about what happened. I just don't want to be the weird guy who says he saw a monster out in the woods. I remember watching those shows where people will talk on camera about seeing dogmen or werewolves or whatever, and I just really don't want to be one of those people. They always come off as liars or nut jobs. Places like this are my only outlets. I wish there were more details to share, but I only barely got away as is. If you're planning on being alone out in the woods, especially around Mount Hood, just be safe. Ghost at the Post From Troy from Texas I'm a retired vet of over 30 from the submarine force. Generally, I'm not afraid of much. I found myself, however, assigned to a base in San Diego, and we took housing in Murphy Canyon. It was a great duplex in a great neighborhood. My neighbor, T, lived with his wife, H, and two small kids. He worked nights and his wife was usually alone at night. Often at get-togethers, she would tell us of crazy events in her house. For instance, one night, she was sitting on her bed by herself, and her two young children, one of three years old, the other six months, had been in bed for a while. She was sitting on the bed and physically felt the bed sink in as though someone had sat next to her. Then, creepily enough, she even felt someone blow on her hair. Then, it quickly left and the bed moved again. On another occasion, she was in bed and a marble actually bounced into her room. The floor was tile, so the marble sounded loud as it bounced. Startled, she got up and checked the kids' bedrooms down the hall. To her astonishment, both were sound asleep. She went back to bed after a bit, then again, another marble. After that, she was up all night. I would give her a hard time when she told us, teasing her by saying, boo. At one point, they went out of town on vacation. I was watching their house. T had let my youngest son use his Nintendo 64, which had just come out. They were coming home on Sunday, and as it was Saturday night, in August in Southern California, I went over to their side of the duplex. It was a normal two-story house with three bedrooms upstairs. I walked into the living room to plug in the N64 and feed their fish. It was pretty hot for 8 p.m., around 75 degrees. So I was hooking up the game system, and suddenly it got really cold. In fact, I could see my breath. Just then, I heard footsteps running around upstairs. Thinking someone had gotten in the house, I yelled out, Who's there? The footsteps stopped. 
I went outside to go back in my house. Surely my kids had made that noise, right? But when I got back, both my kids were out like lights, deep in drooling sleep. No way it was them. My wife and a couple of friends and my dog were all outside too. They hadn't been inside for quite a while. I asked my friend, W, to help me out. I didn't say anything about the occurrence. We went back over and he was messing with the game console. Very quickly, again, the room got cold and I could see his breath. He turned and said to me, Did it just get really cold in here? Right then and there, more running sounds came from upstairs. Did you hear that? W jumped. Now knowing I wasn't crazy, I told him yes. We turned on all the lights, and we searched all the rooms upstairs and downstairs. Nothing out of place. No one else there. As we were leaving, at the door which had both a wooden door and a glass door, we heard another noise. It sounded like someone running around upstairs and like something coming down the stairs. We both stepped through the doorway, leaving the wooden door open as we let the glass door close. Suddenly, the wooden door that was wide open slammed shut with violent force. Terrified, we both looked at each other, astonished. We hustled away and told the girls about what had happened. They laughed at us, but we knew it was real. After all this, I never gave my neighbor's wife a hard time ever again. Thank you for listening to Unexplained Encounters. If you enjoy this show, think about supporting us. There are several ways you can. Search for EerieCast on your favorite podcast app and follow our other scary shows, especially the other two I host, Tales from the Break Room and Camping Horrors. Leave Unexplained Encounters a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple Podcasts. The more we get, the higher we climb in the charts. Get some cool merch at eeriecast.store or unlock tons of cool extras like exclusive audiobooks and music tracks, add free access to all our shows and a huge 20% discount on all our merch, all for less than three bucks a month by signing up for EerieCast Plus at eeriecast.com plus. Thank you. Until next time, send me your scariest stories of the unexplained at darkstories.org so I can narrate them in a future episode. And follow me on X, formerly Twitter, at Dark Prevails for plenty of screams and memes. Stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. 
Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.